7 the time on Talk Radio 790K ABC Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Happy Friday to you all and T Ray. Happy Friday to you. How you doing? Thank you. Good morning, counselor. Well, it's great to be back. Uh, <laughs> my gosh, uh, we were talking it's kind of like Groundhog Day, although with a slight variation. You know, it's not Sunny and Cher waking <laughs> us up with uh, "I Got You, Babe." Uh, but, you know, the low-speed chase in oh Los Angeles, that's a familiar theme that we're all kind of kind of comfortable with. Uh, lots, lots of stuff going on in Los Angeles. El Presidente is here. Does it, does it strike you that uh, it's not really fair for him to ruin Los Angeles and totally destroy the traffic when all he has to do is get in a little presidential helicopter? I know, right? I know they have to this have decoys. Theme, yeah, I know. This is like the theme of uh, uh, of the McIntyre morning show. We don't care what your what your um, favorite uh, thing is or what your your cause is. If you screw up traffic, we hate you. Well, yeah. here's what's ridiculous is Obama's come to town maybe over two dozen times in the last eight years. Right. And maybe three times it's been on official business. It's always for fundraisers. Oh, sure. I mean, that's that's really important. And this is Hollywood. You know, he was meeting with apparently the top ticket price. If, you, if you're a couple and you want to hang with the president at this uh, fundraiser, $68,000. I mean, you better get a really good selfie <laughs> with the president for that. But that's amazing. But you got Gwyneth Paltrow. You got Julia Roberts there. You buy two of those Kobe hats for that. <laughs> that's true. Barbara Streisand and, and uh, Mrs. Barbara Streisand, James Brolin, J.J. Uh, Abrams. I thought they split up. Uh, I think they were together for the dinner. They, I guess they figured we're paying sixty-eight grand. You know, <laughs> we can put up with each other. Uh, Randy, have you heard this rumor? Barbara Streisand breaking up with uh, James Brolin. Politics brings everyone together. I don't know. I, I had not heard that. Now his son, uh, my gosh, Josh Brolin, what a hit! Uh, he has just one terrific movie after another. But he wasn't at the dinner. J.J. Uh, Abrams, uh, Ju- Julia Louis Dreyfus, <laughs> playing the president now. Uh, I should have had a spoiler alert in case people are, are DVRing her show. Um, so it's a traffic nightmare again. I don't understand. Do, have you heard a good explanation, Terry, why he doesn't get into a helicopter and save no, the I entire and town? I, you know, and I have seen that happen because, you know, we don't live too far away from LAX and we have seen, you know, the, the, the five or six choppers going by. Sometimes um, they, he flies into LAX and they chopper him to the Santa Monica airport and sometimes they chopper him actually over into other parts of the town. I don't know why they don't do that all the time. It would sure make life a lot easier. To save money, they could have a presidential drone. And, and Just have him kind of hang on. <laughs> and there could be decoys. There could be Ten guys who who look kind of presidential and ten drones. It's I don't know why and he doesn't do something creative. You work downtown, Royal. Aren't there lots of buildings downtown that have the helipads on the roof? There are. I, I never see them used, and I think there may be some ordinances mm-hmm. against using them, except for emergencies. But yeah, when you uh, when you look at the tops of the buildings, uh, there are a lot of them. If anyway, Kobe can have his own private helicopter, take him everywhere, so he doesn't have to drive in L.A. <laughs> Obama can do it. I think so. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty amazing, but uh, he. Uh, He's he's wrecked traffic once again. We're going to check in with uh, Bill Thomas later. I mean, basically, you know, Hillgard, Sunset uh, Boulevard area. That's uh, like all it, around UCLA. It's going to be a nightmare. Basically, 9.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. off and on. West L.A. is just going to be a total nightmare. So we've also got uh, stuff going on on the other coast. Uh, 
it's really Bernie and Hillary's big adventure, don't you think? In in oh, New York geez. City, and I love the the subway dueling. They're 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 fighting over which of them is more uh, disconnected. You know, get off my lawn, kids. Right. So Bernie, oh, the, t- the subway tokens. Yeah, Bernie's trying to show he's a common know, man, right? and he's and he's trying to fuss with subway tokens, and somebody saying, oh, "Bernie, they haven't used tokens in five this. years." Ten. <laughs> Ten years. Okay. So meanwhile, then Hillary's trying to look like the the common gal. She's got the the little uh, card, but she she can't swipe it. She's swiping it five times. Uh, it would have been so great if somebody had caught her on camera saying blanking thing. I did. Wouldn't that have been a great sound bite? It would have been tremendous. But I did read that they they almost never work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, did, so they didn't work. But for that her. wasn't unusual. She really looked like a woman of the people, you know, with uh, camera crew and six uh, <laughs> secret <laughs> security <laughs> agents. It's ridiculous. I, I know, it, idiotic for all of one stop. But it kind of reminds you, politicians are always trying to, you know, look like the common man and avoid looking elitist. You remember years ago, George Bush? Yeah, but before the milk, George. Bush um, was uh, 41, yeah, yeah. The, the, the elder. He's in the supermarket. Right. He's running for president. Right. And he looks at the barcode and he says, I got to tell you, I've never seen anything like <laughs> that's pretty spectacular. Look at that, the little shiny lights. It's amazing. And everybody went nuts. And so then. Uh, the, the Bush people they figured okay we're gonna get we're gonna plant a reporter to ask Bill Clinton a question and the Clinton people got wind of what the secret right. question was going to be and they said oh oh governor they're gonna ask you about the cost of a quart of milk so we got like a study up so comes the next day uh, Clinton's in the supermarket you know how you doing how you doing oh Mr uh, Governor Governor tell, uh, well for, for example what would you expect a, a housewife to pay for a quart of, oh I don't know what 127 maybe 127 and a half, something like that. And so he was exactly, exactly right, right because he cheated, okay? And so then he won the election <laughs> thanks to a quart of milk. milk yes, that was Royal Oaks who said housewife. That yeah. the Royal Oaks housewife. Well, this is 1992. And? There were housewives then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could look it up, T-Ray. Uh, so anyway, um, so Bill is really uh, in, in the fight for Hillary. He's fighting the, the Black Lives Matter people. Have that you heard that? That was quite a production. Yeah, yeah, I did. I, in fact, I saw the whole thing. And uh, yeah. Yeah, no, he's uh, quite, uh, he, he's f- dueling with them. We're going to have a little sound later in the day. So it's uh, it's going to be a wild day here at McIntyre in the morning. Uh, we welcome your calls. Free Speech Friday, 1-800-222-KABC. We'd love to get your thoughts on uh, the OJ movie. Specifically, I'm curious, did it change your mind? Did you have one feeling about OJ in the 90s, and now after the movie, have you changed your opinion? And no, also, I just think he's a permanent jackass. Okay, so you're one vote for that. And also, should he stay in prison? Because he's up for parole in two 2017, or should he stay until 2041 when he's about 95? So I don't think there's we invite your thoughts there. Out. 5:44 the time. Talk radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Bill Thomas, how are things looking? Hi, Obama spoke at a fundraiser for the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee at Walt Disney Studios. Chairman Alan Horn's house in Beverly Hill or Bel Air, that is. Everyone in New York and outside of New York knows exactly what I meant by that. Ted Cruz campaigning in New York says he doesn't regret his New York values comment a bit. And it is the liberal values of Democratic politicians who have been hammering the people of New York for decades. They've suffered under these liberal values. Cruz is going to be at Sheldon Adelson's Venetian Casino in Las Vegas this weekend meeting with his money bundlers and super PAC donators. This is an example of Donald Trump managing and the kind of leadership he'll bring to the presidency. Uh, uh, after November. Following the loss in Wisconsin and some campaign stumbles, Trump is bringing on veteran political operator 
Paul Manafort. Because the campaigns come in stages, he also understood that there becomes a time when you, winning isn't enough, but it's how you win and how much you win. And he recognized this was the time. Trump's campaign says he's going to be taking, this Manafort's going to be taking on an expanded role, especially with the growing possibility of a contested convention. Donald Trump is two things, the front runner for the Republican presidential nomination and wildly unpopular. A new Associated Press GFK poll says seven out of 10 people, half Republican voters, have an unfavorable view of Trump. That includes majorities of men, majorities of women, young, old, conservatives, moderates, liberals, whites, Hispanics, and blacks. Bernie Sanders is defending his decision to spend two minutes in a speech listing reasons why he thinks Hillary Clinton isn't qualified to be president. Sanders' explanation for why he spent two minutes listing reasons for why Hillary Clinton is not qualified to be president? because a headline in the Washington Post said Clinton was questioning his qualifications. You know, if you want to question my qualifications, let me suggest this, that maybe the American people might wonder about your qualifications, Madam Secretary. At a press conference, Sanders said he's tried to stick to the issues, but he's not about to stand there as he's beaten up. And if I am going to be attacked for being unqualified, I will respond in quiet. A transcript of Clinton's interview with NBC showed that while she questioned Sanders' readiness, she never specifically said he wasn't qualified. I'm Steve Kastenbaum. Metro held a community meeting in El Monte last night focusing on transit projects for the San Gabriel Bat. San Gabriel Valley, as Metro gets started on its push to fund $120 billion in construction projects, it's holding these meetings in communities where Metro is proposing new lines. One of the plans is a light rail line to run along the 60. Our community needs it. We're transportation dependent, and I know our residents are really needing something on the SR60 freeway to, t- to alleviate that, so you have to hop on that traffic. Joe Gonzalez, South El Monte City Council member, says the 60 light rail project is further along than other plans, and he hopes it can be built sooner than other competing projects. Sensing Set for July 28th for the alleged leader of a Mexican mafia-controlled San Gabriel Valley gang that targeted blacks. James Gutierrez pled guilty yesterday to three conspiracy counts, including racketeering, narcotics distribution, and money laundering. The indictment says that the gang committed hate crimes directed against African Americans who might reside or be present in the cities of El Monte and South El Monte in an effort to get rid of African-Americans in those cities. KBC News time is 6.03. Talk Radio 790 KBC Sports. Here's Randy Wang. Well, the Dodgers' hot streak got squashed by the Giants. We lost to San Francisco 12-6. Ouch. Angels beat the Rangers 4-3, their first win of the season. The Lakers play the Pelicans at 5 for Kobe's fourth to last game. Wednesday, April 13th, the final Kobe Bryant game in Los Angeles. Clippers play the Jazz at 6. The Warriors beat the Spurs 112-101 for their 70th win. They're going to win the next three regular season games to beat the 95-96 Bulls record. They got two games against the Grizzlies and a Spurs game in San Antonio left. And the Spurs are undefeated at home, so this is getting real interesting. Let's see how that crosstown hockey rivalry did. The Kings beat the Ducks 2-1. We're steadily in first place with one more regular season game to go. That's against the Jets tomorrow at 6.30 on the home of the Kings, Talk Radio 790 KBC. Every day a new must-have smart product launches. Here's what's smart. Protecting what matters, your home, your family. Kitta makes that simple. Worry-free smoke and carbon monoxide alarms provide 10 years of non-stop power, no low battery chirps, and the remote link monitor... It's McIntyre in the Morning with Doug McIntyre and Terry Ray Elmer.
607 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Happy Friday to you all. So traffic is a big deal here in Los Angeles at all times. It's an especially big deal when the president shows up, as he's done now for the $68,000 per couple uh, dinner there on the west side. But also... One of the things that uh, we're known for is the low-speed chase. Sometimes it's a high-speed chase. T-Ray, this was this was just amazing it yesterday. Was, it was crazy. I was um, out running around, running errands, and I heard it on the radio at first, and I came home and I said to my husband, you've got to turn this on. It's unbelievable. I and mean, it, it certainly was. It's a top-down a Mustang convertible. Uh, the, these couple of guys, uh, I guess there were two two guys in the, in the car. Uh-huh. Um, and they're, they're driving around. Apparently, the way it happened, is it started about 1, 1.30 in the afternoon yesterday. Uh, there's a report of a residential burglary in Cerritos. And the rain's starting to come down. Mm-hmm. And so the burglars uh, uh, allegedly flee the the scene. But neighbors were able to spot, oh, it's a Ford Mustang convertible. Uh, bright Top, blue one. <laughs> bright blue, really memorable, right? <laughs> so within minutes, a sheriff's helicopter spots the car. On the westbound 91 freeway. At the 710. Yeah. So the authorities are saying, oh, the roads are, are too wet to follow. You know, so they rely on, on a helicopter to monitor, which is kind of weird. I didn't know that was a thing about the rain. You've, you've heard about how companies are, are too too big to fail? Uh, yeah. I think this car was too wet to tail. <laughs> okay. So, so you know, and they it, didn't have, it, it started to rain. They had the top up. And then the more the rain came down. That's when they put the top down. <laughs> well, they wanted to experience it. They wanted to live life. So uh, the helicopter's following, but but no police cars. Not yet. So now they get to the interchange of the harbor and, and the Hollywood, the 110 and the 101 in downtown Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. That's when the highway patrol gets involved. So the Mustang gets off at Sunset Boulevard. By this time, they'd already rear-ended one car and the passenger's having a good time while his buddy's driving. The passenger is standing up and waving uh-huh. at the other drivers. I mean, this is beginning to be an L.A. thing. So and now then, they're... And then when the rain starts, they put the convertible top down, and then they both are standing up in the car. The driver is standing up and driving. <laughs> you got to savor the moment, So right? they get on the 101, and they get off on Hollywood Boulevard, and then what? All right, so well, they get off the freeway. And, and uh, as I say, they've already rear-ended uh, uh, one car. They're waving. So on Sunset now, no cops behind them. They're on Sunset Boulevard. They start doing donuts yep. in the middle of the street. And the helicopter pilot, uh, the camera is just recording this. They're spinning across all the lanes of traffic. They're forcing the other cars to stop. So now they move on to Hollywood Boulevard. Yes. And, and all the tourists get to see the Mustang <laughs> driving by the Chinese Theater, the, the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And then it's up into the Hollywood Hills. They, they're going into in the wrong lanes. They're going around blind curves. They're just barely missing oncoming traffic. They're this thing fish- was like a commercial for L.A. Oh, yeah, totally. Exactly. They're, they're it's fish- like a tour of Los Angeles. Especially they're- when he got on the freeway and then he hit the TMZ bus. Well, the, I think that those dopes, sorry, TMZ, well, no, I'm not sorry. I think those dopes really th- wanted to get involved. The TMZ tour bus thought that he was going to Hey, you guys know, want a real I'm L.A. Gonna- Experience? Well, yeah, in other words, in other here. words, Harvey Levin almost saved the day. That's, That's what the he was bottom trying line. to do. I'm quite yeah. sure. Yeah, because they're they're fishtailing. Then they are going back through the tourist district in Hollywood. They're onto the freeway, and they're almost trapped by the TMZ bus. So and, yeah. And this is when um, this is at the point when we realize that the front one of the front tires is shot. 
completely shredded, and they're driving on the rim on one of the front tires. I know. It's amazing. Hey, let's bring Bill Thomas oh, yeah. in. Bill, uh, of course, our, our ace traffic guy. Bill, I, I just wanted to get your take on this. If, if you, First of all, have you ever heard of this concept that the, the cops aren't going to follow somebody because there's a little moisture in the ground and, you know, somebody might get hurt? Not because of rain, but oftentimes LAPD officers will back off. They'll stop a chase and go into what they call tracking mode. They'll work with ground units and air units. They'll keep a safe distance. They want the driver to think they're not in the neighborhood. Just tracking it and following it where it goes. Yeah. And then once the suspect stops, that's when the helicopter can radio the guys on the ground, bring them in closer, and make the arrest. But at one point, LAPD officers did back off. The guys you saw pulled over and stopped. Yeah. They waited a good five or ten minutes, and then L.A. County Sheriff's deputies, they pulled in, and without much fanfare, took both guys into custody. Bill, is it is it also because at that point they'd identified the car and they knew who these guys were so they could go and get them later? That's entirely possible. But the only thing I had heard that it was just tracking mode. For some reason, LAPD officers thought it might be a little too dangerous, so they backed off. But how dangerous can it be? You're only riding on three uh, tires. You can't go that fast. Mm-hmm. The front tire was blown out. They were only doing about five or ten miles per hour through surface streets in uh, downtown L.A. and south L.A. as well. And then they just stopped for some reason on 51st and Hoover. If you saw the pictures, both guys out of the car just sitting there waiting it out, fist bumps with the bo- uh, boys in the neighborhood. <laughs> And uh, amazingly, they just sat there for so long. Generally, officers will scream into the neighborhood. They'll go through a huge protocol, get both guys down on the ground, pat them down, take them into custody. But this was just like another day at the office for deputies. Bill, your educated opinion of the driver of the TMZ tour bus? I heard him say later he was just trying to maneuver on the freeway. Uh He was interviewed by one of the news stations yesterday. I wasn't trying to be a hero. I think he saw what was going on, tried to get himself involved exactly. in the, uh, the chase caper, tried to get the guy to stop. But he says, no, I was just trying to maneuver around the freeway. Uh-huh. Bill, what is the concept behind this sort of coddling these guys involved in a low-speed chase? I mean, you don't know what kind of stuff they've been up to. You know, don't know how, how bad the bad guys are. But, I mean, when you see them going like five and six miles an hour and they're surrounded by cops, and, of course, it's just a ratings gold. Everybody, everybody has to, to uh, watch. How is it that we were so shy about, you know, bumping them a little or kind of surrounding them? I mean, the spike strips don't seem to work. Is it that we're just so worried that, that if there's any kind of encounter, any, any kind of physical connection between the, sl- the, the, the car that's going on the low-speed chase and the cops that, you know, some tragedy might result? Yeah, that uh, pit maneuver, it, it can work sometimes. I was watching in surface streets, and they were going very slow. Uh, I thought at one point LAPD officers or someone would jump in and try that pit maneuver. But you saw, you may have seen on our uh, newscast yesterday, a lot of folks walking back and forth up and down the neighborhood. School was out. Uh, too many residents in the neighborhood. You just tap a guy. He loses control, bumps into somebody. You've got a huge lawsuit, as you know, Royal. So they just went into tracking <laughs> mode, backed off a little bit. The guy can't get anywhere at 5 or 10 miles per hour on three tires. And as we thought what would happen, he just came to a stop, surrendered, gave up. And fortunately, yesterday, Nobody got hurt. This could have had some real nasty. Well, they could results. have had a gun. They could have had guns too. They don't know what they stole in that burglary, right? Yeah, you never know if they're armed or dangerous. And as a general rule, uh, most often they'll go into what they call defensive mode, not offensive mode. Give the suspect a wide berth to do what they can, and at one point, hopefully, they'll either run out of gas, crash, or just pull over and stop and give up. You know, it always it strikes me when the low speed chases go on and on, like for hours. And, of course, the stations all have to cover them. It's just so strange because, you know, the news people have been working all day I know. to put on a newscast, whether <laughs> it's, it's a half shot. hour, it's an hour, gone. whatever. It's and it's, go- it's totally blown out. And meanwhile, the people who are on the air, they've got to mm, somehow fill up, you know, a couple of hours talking about, you know, important trivia about low-speed chases. But, I mean, I mean, Bill, my understanding is that if any 
a TV station decided for some reason to to just turn away from this after an hour and a half, well, it's been, they'd be dead. I mean, nobody'd be watching them because all the folks would be switching over to the stations that are showing uh, the helicopter pictures of the low-speed chase. I don't know that anyone would pull off that. In fact, some stations, my station at Channel 7, we actually broke into programming early and started carrying this, I think, a little before 3 the three in the afternoon and kept it uh, live until it came to an end. Then we resumed our regular <laughs> it's programming. It's kind of like, no red, like red carpet before the Oscars show, you know? It's a radio <laughs> you got to lead up to it. All right, Bill, thanks for the perspective. We'll check in with you later on this. It's like this. the appetizer. And also, Bill, we're going to check in with you throughout the morning to have a little Obama update because uh, folks are going to be totally uh, blown out by the by the traffic problem uh, on the west side. Uh, Always in town and a ton of closures. A reminder, Roy, you can check out all the closures on the website, kabc.com. It's a deal. Okay, we're going to switch gears because there's an interesting development going on uh, in Florida involving shacking up. Uh, they're changing the law back there. We're delighted to welcome to KBC Richard Stark. He is a uh, Florida representative. And Mr. Stark, welcome to KBC. How are you? Well, good to be with you this morning. So you must feel kind of neglected uh, down in Florida with everybody focused on uh, on New York for a change with all the presidential stuff, or maybe maybe it's nice for things to be a little quieter, a little uh, less crazy down there? Well, I don't know. It, it's, it's not been real quiet down here. This is uh, the time of the year that the governor's signing all the legislation, so... Uh, uh, we, we've been pretty busy here, but I know nationally that everybody's taking a look at that uh, Hillary and Sanders race and the uh, crazy stuff going on on the other side. So, uh, Well, that's right. Yeah. But, I mean, when you think about it for a long time, I mean, you were kind of ground zero with uh, Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio. Uh, so there was a lot of attention on Florida. Of course, there's always attention after that 2000 drama with Al Gore. I mean, you were just the absolute nuclear core of politics, and, and that that drama of you know who's who's actually going to become president with the with the hanging chads and so on. Uh, as I say, you're, you're Florida's often right in the middle. Plus, like Florida and Ohio, people say if for the Republicans, you don't win those two, both of them, forget it, lights out. Uh, there's absolutely no way you, you can overcome the automatic advantage the Democrats are going to they're going to win California, they're going to win New York. Republicans just have to win at every other key state for for them to have any kind of chance at the White House. Well, interesting on the Republican side that you had at least four saying that they were from the state of Florida. You had Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush. Uh, Donald Trump uh, lives in Palm Beach well, County. That's right, I'd forgotten. And yeah. I think that, I think Ben Carson said he was yes. from, like the Panhandle or something. <laughs> well, but to me, maybe he meant the Oklahoma Panhandle. I don't know. Um, you know, uh, it's funny. Uh, everybody has, has these changeable hometowns. You know, Hillary is from Chicago, and of course, then she's from Arkansas. But now she's Miss New York because doggone it, it's her adopted uh, state, and she was senator there. And as you say, uh, I had forgotten that Trump has the Florida connection, but this week you wouldn't know it because it's all about I'm home, I'm home, it's so great to be home, and how horrible it is that uh, Cruz is talking about New York values. He says we're bad people. Can you believe that? And then he starts talking about the 9-11 first responders. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it, a lot of craziness going on up in New York. But you got your own stuff going on uh, in Florida. We wanted to chat with, uh, chat with you about this issue of the uh, shacking up bill. Uh, so tell us what's going on there in Florida. Well, kind of interesting. You know, you know, state legislators are always looking at stuff on the books that is antiquated. I mean, we're lawmakers, so you, know, you try to try to get some of these things on the you know on the books that shouldn't be there anymore. Now, this is kind of a 
Yeah, you do hear. It's fun to read about the antiquated uh, laws every once in a while you see a law. Well, in Louisiana, it's illegal for an unmarried woman uh, uh, under 30 to tease a horse. And it's still on the books. Uh, But, I mean, I guess, you know, it would take a long time to cull through all the books and get rid of all the ridiculous statutes. Yeah, but even this law, even though that, you know, we take a look at, you know, we have fun with it. You know, it can be used for harassment purposes, first of all. I've, I've heard, you know, it's third party. I, I couldn't, you know, tell you, you know, uh, you know, line, chapter, and verse, but, you know, there have been political campaigns where, you know, somebody can do a whisper campaign and say, hey, you know, he's, you know, because you know, maybe that the politician or whoever's running for office is living, you know, with a, with a woman that's so, not married. So to be specific, and again, we're talking yeah. with Richard Stark, Florida representative, to be specific, Florida for about 150 years has had a yeah. law that says unwed couples, man and woman, Unwed couples may not live together. That's been the ban. And so now uh, the status of that is what? Uh, it's, it's repealed. Okay. It, it's gone. I mean, it's a Reconstruction-era law. Uh, back in those days, uh, divorce was not no fault, and you had to prove it. So uh, Reconstruction-era. So b- before the Civil War, it was just wild. Anything goes. But I guess after the Civil War, they decided that would be naughty. You know, we're, so we're going to criminalize shacking up. So that, the timing is strange, I guess. Uh, what about enforcement? I mean, was it ever really enforced in the last 150 years? As you say, there may have been whisper campaigns, and you could use it for political advantage. But did anybody ever actually get prosecuted? Yeah, somebody uh, in the late 70s in Florida, there was something going on with that. I don't know if anybody served any jail time. North Carolina <laughs> had this issue, too, up at as late as, I think, 1991. Really? Uh, and uh, interestingly enough, now, look, I mean, we're a Bible Belt state. I mean, I may be here in Fort Lauderdale in the Miami area, and, uh, I mean, I'm an old boy. You know, see, we're talking about everybody from somewhere else. I mean, I grew up on Long Island, so, I mean, you know, I've been all over the place. So, so. you know Bill O'Reilly? Uh, well, I, I, I don't know him, but uh, I just I know assumed. Of him. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I and I know of Julia Roberts. I live in Los Angeles, right. like she does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But, but uh, you know, if I had anything to do with her, she'd have me arrested for being a stalker. <laughs> well, anyway, you know, but I, made, I made you forget my stupid question. Yeah, I? I, what, what was it? <laughs> yeah. So, so here, here's job, the question. Let, let me I let mean, me I, ask you about the the gay angle here, because it was worded a man and woman may not live together and cohabit and so on without benefit of marriage. Apparently, all this time, uh, a gay couple they wouldn't be violating the law at all because no. of the way it's worded, right? Yeah, we're two women. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Well, you I, see, I, that, that, you that's, see, why, that's why they elect me to this stuff. see, Representative, <laughs> Representative Stark, when I, I, I know that I'm not representative, but when I used the word gay, I was actually meaning to include lesbians. <laughs> that's, that's how we roll here in California. You know, uh, maybe you have Bible different values. Maybe you have Florida values going on. What did he say? Uh, I said I think the Bible excludes that. I think the Bible just talks about man and man. You, you know, uh, I, I just couldn't tell you. I, I couldn't quote chapter and verse for you, so to speak. No, he's right. <laughs> well, all right, fine. So, I'm <laughs> so th- it sounds like this is something that Fl- Floridians are behind, and the governor, the governor, as you say, signed the bill now, and so it's uh... signed the bill uh, day before yesterday. Okay. Well, maybe uh, other states will fall in line. You know, you hear about uh, a lot of statutes that seem antiquated, but people don't get too lathered up about it because they, they never seem to be enforced. But I guess, it, you know, as you say, it's a, it's a symbolic thing. And, and now uh, politicians that are, uh, are, are hanging out with, with their uh, other significant other, they won't have to worry, perhaps, uh, about uh, being accused of violating the state law. 
Well, if you take a look at some of the articles that are out there, you know, we have a big senior population in Florida. I've heard. We got a lot of the seniors that, you know, they're living in sin also, you know, and it, it, sometimes it gets down to money. There is some type of a um, cutback in Social Security if, uh, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if you're a widow or widower, you know, you get some of your, uh, your, your, your deceased spouse's uh, Social Security, along with your other, you know, with yours, and you lose some of that. I believe uh, if you you get married to somebody else, so there's a lot of that going on, and they certainly didn't know that they were living in sin. That's true. Yeah, no, there's a practical effect there. So yeah, probably going to be a lot of high fiving in the convalescent homes there in uh, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, I'm sure it's uh, probably happening all over the place. <laughs> all right, Richard Stark, Florida representative. Thank you so much for uh, sharing part of your Friday with us. You have a great weekend. All right, you guys too. Thanks a lot. Six twenty-four. The time. Talk Radio seven ninety K A. ABC, Royal Oaks, and for Doug McIntyre, Bill Thomas in for himself. How are things looking, Bill? Six twenty-nine. The time. Talk radio is seven ninety KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Happy Friday to you all. So, T. Ray, uh, your landlord. Okay, you want to you want to rent a, a unit, an apartment uh, to somebody. And so you feel like you ought to have a little something to say as to who you rent it to, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, guess what? Uh, if they've been convicted of a crime, you can't say no to them because of that. Seriously? Yeah. Hey, uh, Bert, it uh, uh, looks like on your application there was that uh, stretch of about 10 years for child molestation. Uh, Want to talk about that? Yeah, tell me. But Well, yes, but I paid my debt to society uh T. Ray, so uh, when can I move in? Obama administration says you can't say no. You can't say no because he happened to have been convicted of a crime. Well, there was that string of serial killings in Oklahoma I was responsible for in the 80s, but done my time, you can't say no. However, good news, T. Ray, there's an exception to the rule. The Obama administration says... If they're murderers? No, no, just the other direction. There's an exception. If the crime they committed was drug-related, you know, selling, manufacturing drugs, then you may, as a landlord, say, oh, I don't want you in my building. But the Obama administration says, other criminals, other felons, you can't say no because disproportionate effect on people of color, if you look at the statistical makeup of, of folks behind bars. So that's uh, that's the latest ruling by the White House. And uh, so I don't know if you want to go out and buy that apartment house or not. <laughs> 6.30 the time, talk radio. Not going to out that back. KBC. Thirty-nine. The time. Talk radio. Seven ninety K ABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. This fabulous Friday, free speech Friday too. I'll give us a call a little later. We're going to focus on the O.J. Simpson uh, case and your impressions of the movie. Would you would you vote guilty now? Did the movie change your mind? Do you think O.J. should be sprung from the Nevada hellhole prison he's in, possibly till he's in his early nineties in twenty forty-one? One eight hundred two 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 KBC. The number. You'd like to weigh in on that. But meantime, we want to weigh in on dark money. I want to get a little definition here. It's this whole business about super PACs and, and, and mysterious money flowing in to the campaigns. We're joined by Dave Leventhal, senior reporter for the Center for Public Integrity. Dave, welcome to KBC. How are you? 
Hey, good morning. I'm doing great. So Citizens United, the big uh, U.S. Supreme Court uh, decision of a few years ago, so controversial, basically unleashed corporations, unions to give uh, pretty much unlimited amounts of money. Democrats, by and large, have criticized it. But now some folks are saying Hillary's really been a huge beneficiary of this. And uh, this phrase dark money has popped up. So uh, give us your take on this. Indeed, we uh, worked uh, several months on an investigation that public published yesterday that shows that Hillary Clinton stands right now to be one of the greatest beneficiaries of the Citizens United decision, uh, if not just this election cycle, but uh, perhaps ever since Citizens United became a thing six years ago. So what we see, bottom line, is that there's a constellation of what you describe, super PACs, these groups that can raise and spend unlimited amounts of money, but also nonprofit organizations to an extent, too, that can do similar things. So long as they they don't have a primary purpose of engaging in politics, and uh, together they're raising millions upon millions of dollars uh, for the directed purpose of supporting Hillary Clinton. Now, you talk to the Clinton campaign, and we certainly did, and they say, well, look, we can't unilaterally disarm. We can't cede everything to Republicans who have been using this uh, without apology. Uh, So, you know, if you're a Democrat, perhaps you buy that notion. But what we also see, too, is that many of these outside groups that are supporting Hillary Clinton, the super PACs, nonprofits, they're also playing in the primary, too, particularly the super PAC. So if you're Bernie Sanders, a Bernie Sanders supporter, you you may not be heartened by Hillary Clinton's words all too terribly much. So when Hillary is confronted with this fact that she's been getting tens of millions of dollars and, you know, you've isolated uh, the the names, uh, for example, Priorities USA Action, uh, spending millions to help Clinton uh, get the nomination, correct the record is kind of a political SWAT unit attacking people who attack Clinton. Uh, you got American Bridge 21st Century. They, they aid Democratic candidates with opposition research, and, and they've been praised by Clinton. So she, you know, together, we're talking $85, $90 million. What, what is her answer in terms of uh, the fact that she's accepting money from these PACs that essentially represents uh, an endorsement of the whole Citizens United idea that she's criticized? The Clinton campaign is very quick to note that they don't have command and control over these super PACs, which is true. Neither do any candidates technically have command and control over super PACs that support them. Hey, anyone can form a super PAC. You and I could write a letter to the Federal Election Commission today and form a super PAC. Uh, but. It's a little different with Hillary Clinton and and also to the Republican candidates in the sense that they have super PACs that exist uh, uh, for one purpose or or very limited purposes, but typically one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to support that specific candidate that they are supporting. So Hillary Clinton has a number of groups that are run by not people who are just, you know, big Hillary Clinton fans, but intimate supporters of her advisors, people who have worked for her previous campaigns, uh, who have uh, been associates of hers for years, if not decades. They're running these organizations. So short of Hillary Clinton herself sitting in a boardroom and telling them what to do, she's got the best people that she could possibly have running these operations that are going to be supporting her. You could liken it to a parallel campaign structure. She's got her own campaign that she's running, and then she has all these other operations that are are running right alongside her campaign, run by people who are are the next best thing to her herself. You know, when you think about it, it's such a joke to suggest that there isn't 
command and control by the Clintons and the Sanders and the, the, the Bushes and the Trumps of the world with respect to these super PACs. I mean, you know that they're pulling the strings. As you say, it's the same kind of people. I mean, if the folks in the business world who are, are accused of antitrust uh, violations tried to, to claim this, you know, they'd be laughed out of court because everybody knows that if they have a unity of interest and the money flows for the explicit benefit of somebody or something, I mean, do they really people think people believe them when they say, oh, we don't control these super PACs? We spoke to a lot of reformers, people who you would think would be natural allies of Hillary Clinton. And mind you, Hillary Clinton on the campaign trail is saying, I hate Citizens United. I will reform the system if I'm president. Big money in politics is a bad thing. So that's what she's saying, at least in terms of her platform positions during the campaign. But again, spoke to a lot of people who seem like they would be their natural ally, her natural allies, people who are campaign finance reformers here in Washington or elsewhere. And some of them just aren't buying it. They're saying, well, look, you, you can talk a good game, and Hillary Clinton does, but it's a very different thing to put it in action and try to spend the political capital that you would need in order to get these reforms enacted. So they were very skeptical, many of them. We also commissioned a poll for our article, which you can find on publicintegrity.org, that shows uh, that many Americans, including a lot of Democrats, are too very skeptical of Hillary Clinton's uh, statements on this, uh, saying that, hey, maybe we like what we're hearing here, but we don't necessarily believe it. Uh, Bernie Sanders and even Donald Trump, among all voters or potential voters, uh, had more credibility in the poll that we had uh, commissioned than Hillary Clinton did. Uh, so if you believe those results, uh, Hillary Clinton has a bit of a credibility gap in terms of convincing people that indeed what she says is what she's going to do if she was uh, to be elected president. We're talking with Dave Leventhal, senior reporter for the Center for Public Integrity. And you raise an interesting point. I mean, uh, I think it was a month or so ago, the Gallup poll maybe came out and they'd asked people, all right, uh, give us the one word that pops into your head when we mention these various presidential candidates. And and when Hillary's name was mentioned, by far and away, number one answer was dishonest. And the other candidates also had some unflattering words. But yeah, she, she's got a, a huge credibility gap to deal with. Uh, what about dark money? This phrase, dark money, we hear tossed around. It's kind of like uh, the dark web. Uh, it's a little murky to me. What, what, what do people mean when they say dark money? Dark money is a euphemism. Some people really don't like the term. Uh, often it will mean money that you cannot trace to a flesh and blood human source. So if somebody is making a political contribution to a group or, uh, or funding a super PAC or a nonprofit organization uh, and you can't figure out who truly is behind it, that would be a kind of standard definition for dark money. What we've found in our investigation is that many of these super PACs that are supporting Hillary Clinton are using either dark money as defined, or money that uh, at the very least is difficult to trace to that human source. And sometimes this is coming in the form of a nonprofit organization. And mind you, they do not have to disclose their donors typically giving to a super PAC, which does have to disclose uh, its donors. So without getting too in the weeds here, uh, basically you have a group that has to disclose its money, a super PAC, taking money from groups that don't have to disclose their money. So when you try to trace it back all the way to the original donor, it's incredibly difficult to do that. Also, too, corporations uh, have been giving to these super PACs that are supporting Hillary Clinton. One in particular was a construction company uh, based in Boston. It has a number of government contracts, uh, numbering into the nine figures, uh, and uh, also, too, is run by somebody uh, who has uh, close ties to the government, uh, is even uh, working 
for uh, for the Fed. Uh, so uh, very very close ties to the government, and this corporation gave two hundred thousand uh, dollars to a pro Hillary Clinton super PAC. So there's a number of different examples, including limited liability companies and, and other uh, types of groups that have been opening their wallets and giving uh, significant amounts of money to these groups that are supporting Hillary Clinton. And uh, despite uh, our best efforts and those of others, it's uh, incredibly difficult, again, to get to the root source of some of these contributions. When you compare Hillary Clinton's money coming in from the super PACs, say, to Bernie Sanders, do you see a big uh, imbalance in terms of him just getting, I heard he got $44 million recently, money pouring in, a lot of small donations. Is it top-heavy? And similarly, on on the Republican side, uh, do you see one candidate getting most of the super PAC money and the other folks uh, smaller contributions? Two quick points on the Democratic side. Number one, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, in terms of the money that is coming into their own campaigns that they control, they're pretty darn close. Uh, by the end of March, they're, they're going to be within a few million dollars of each other in terms of that hard money coming into their campaign. The difference there is that Hillary Clinton is raising her money more than Bernie Sanders from people who are giving large dollar contributions. So, you know, large three figure, large four figure contributions. Bernie Sanders is uh, receiving uh, the lion's share of his money from smaller dollar contributions. So that's the difference there. When it comes to the super PACs that are supporting Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, there is a major difference. Hillary Clinton is getting uh, an incredible amount of support from those types of groups. Bernie Sanders, although he likes to rail against super PACs and say, I don't have a super PAC, he is receiving some support, and it should be noted, uh, but he doesn't have any super PAC that exists strictly to support his presidential campaign, supporting him in a major way. There's a nurses union, for example, that's uh, put up a lot of uh, television or put a lot of uh, advertisements up and has given him other support, but they do other things as well. They just so happen to support Bernie Sanders. So it wouldn't be uh, totally 100% true that he doesn't have a super PAC supporting him, uh, but the support is minuscule compared to that that Hillary Clinton is receiving. Okay, David Leventhal, senior reporter for the Center for Public Integrity, and you can uh, get him at uh, publicintegrity.org. That's the website. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with us. Hey, anytime. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, T. Ray, we uh, have been talking about uh, Bill Clinton uh, coming to the defense of his wife uh, in the face of Black Lives Matter protesters, and it really got kind of uh, of passionate. He's talking in Philadelphia, he's giving a speech, and he's defending his uh, tough-on-crime approach during the 1990s, and apparently the Black Lives Matter protesters really uh, were going after Hillary uh, and heckling him and so on. Uh, he, he did not stand up and say, get him out of here! <laughs> no, no, but he, he got kind of emotional. He said, uh, uh, I like protesters, but the, the ones who won't let you answer are afraid of the truth. So that, that was his take. I think he also added, I especially like protesters with incredible bodies. No, he did Those not. Those are the best kind of protest. I'll let him speak for himself. This is what's the matter. I don't know how you would characterize the gang leaders who got 13-year-old kids hopped up on crack and sent them out onto the street to murder other African-American children. Maybe you thought they were good citizens. She didn't. She didn't. You are defending the people who kill the lives you say matter. Tell the truth. So here, he's, yeah, go ahead. Well, he, he's, he's talking about um, two things, the 1994 crime bill that he signed that cracked down on gangs, but also put more nonviolent offenders in prison for longer times. And then also they're complaining about the bill that, uh, or a speech that Hillary gave in 1996, where she was talking about violent crime committed by young people saying black, and they said black youth are not predators. Exactly right. Now, it, it's fascinating because when Clinton was president, 
he had to deal with some powerful Republican forces. The Republicans generally had the edge in the Congress. Mm -hmm. And it was called compromise, and they hammered something out. Welfare reform, for example, dramatically cut down the problem of, of welfare in the United States. Everybody praised it because it was a compromise, kind of thing we haven't been, been seeing the last, uh, last eight or ten years. Well, in the bill that he was talking about, he said that the tougher criminal penalties were added on the advice of Joe Biden, who told Clinton they were needed, otherwise the Republicans wouldn't get on board. Exactly right. So so they reform the criminal justice system, they reform the welfare system, they, they improve funding for inner city educational programs, they tighten gun laws. So a lot of great bipartisan reforms. But the Black Lives Matter folks say, you know what? You, Bill, are responsible for kicking off the era of mass incarceration. By in tough fact, yeah. you know, Bill even walked back that, you know, he even mentioned that he expressed regret that this crime bill led to that. Yes, and now he, he did. And then a month later, now he's doubling down on it. Yeah. No, well, of course, he, you know, he's dealing with the political situation and trying to cope with the protesters and so on. But yeah, I mean, Hillary's comment that you were alluding to, T. Ray, she, she said, these people have no conscience. They have no empathy. We can talk about why they ended up that way. But first, we have to bring them to heal. So this is a tough anti-crime mm -hmm. comment by Hillary years ago and the black lives matter folks are not buying it they think that it's it's totally inappropriate uh they're they're blaming bill clinton and hillary and, and he was uh, he, he was very emotional in his reaction to this um i don't know how effective he's uh, being on the campaign trail in, in a sense i think it's surprising they aren't using him more because he's a still a really popular guy. But, um, well, that speech he gave um, I, earlier this week, I can't remember where he was, but he spoke 52 minutes with no notes, no teleprompter, no nothing. Yeah, well, that, that's Trump-like. I know, right? <laughs> Time is 6.53, Talk Radio 790-KABC. Let's check in with Bill Thomas on the traffic. It's McIntyre in the Morning with Doug McIntyre and Terry Ray Elmer. Seven oh seven. The time. Talk radio was seven ninety K A B C. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Hope you are having a fabulous Friday. If you can somehow avoid the traffic nightmare that's going to descend upon West Los Angeles with the arrival of the president a little later today, we'll be checking in, of course, with Bill Thomas. So big news on the political front. Turns out Bernie is actually ahead of Hillary. He's actually. Yeah, people are feeling the burn. He's uh, he's crept ahead and with us to help explain the phenomenon, Anita Kumar, White House correspondent for McClatchy. Anita, welcome to KBC. How are you? Thanks for having me. Well, you're quite welcome. And uh, gosh, uh, nationally, apparently, uh, Bernie Sanders uh, uh, has crept ahead of Hillary. What, what do you got on this? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of polls um, recently, he's been he's just been moving up for months and sort of slowly moving up. And as we've been looking at individual primaries in individual states, it's like nationally he's moving up. So in our latest poll, which just came out this week, he has a 49 to 47 percent lead. So not much, but this is you know a not surprising, but it's sort of unbelievable thinking that six months ago he was probably down by 30 points. Yeah. You know, it kind of reminds you of the situation over on the Republican side uh, where you have a person who everybody assumes is probably going to win, Donald Trump, mm -hmm. and yet uh, people aren't really happy with that. They'd actually be happier with somebody else because it looks like Trump is going to get trounced by, by whichever Democrat gets nominated. And on the Democrat side, I mean, if you had to bet money, 
if it was really important to you not to lose the House on a wager, I think you'd put it all on Hillary, even though it sounds like Bernie is is now a little more popular than she is, but she's kind of got things nailed in terms of the delegate structure. Right. I mean, she's definitely ahead in the delegates. It's almost, not quite, but insurmountable for her, him to get ahead or to hit, to win at this point. But it is interesting. It's both things. It's that he is his message, his simple message is really resonating, but it's also that people don't, some people don't like her. So it's exactly what you said. It's, it's a little bit split that they're looking for someone who's not Hillary Clinton, but they also like his message. And his message, again, to kind of compare the two sides, it, it is so straightforward and simplistic. The system is rigged. America is unfair. When you go over to Trump, make America great again. Right. I mean, he hammers away on it. We don't need any details. We don't need any explanations. You just read his baseball cap, and that's all you need to know. And <laughs> same thing with, with, with Bernie. The system is rigged. And, and Hillary not only doesn't have a straightforward slogan, but she's got the baggage of you know that Gallup poll came out a month or so ago. You know what word would you uh, would pop out of your mouth uh, when I mentioned the following candidates' names? And the word that popped out when people were told the name Hillary Clinton is dishonest. I mean, she's got a lot of trouble, and yet she uh, again seems to be on the road to victory. Right, but one of those reasons, and uh, a lot of people, you know, Bernie Sanders people want to want to make sure that everybody knows this. Not only is she winning. He's won a lot of states, but she's winning more delegates in, in states. Democrats do things differently than Republicans. So if they split the state or, you know, one person wins, they still split the number of delegates. So each win for whoever, someone's, both of them are getting more delegates. It's not winner take all. And then the other thing, of course, is that Democrats have super delegates. So these are, you know, important people in the Democratic Party, congressmen and women, uh, state legislators, you know, party chairmen and women who can decide however they want to vote. So Bernie Sanders wins a state. I think he won Colorado. This is a good example. I think they have three, at least three superdelegates, and I think all three of them have said, uh, I may be wrong on the numbers, but many of them, including the governor of Colorado, has said they're voting for Hillary Clinton. They're going to cast their vote. They're going to do their, you know, so that, so that it swings towards her, even though the state didn't go to her. We're talking with Anita Kumar, White House correspondent for McClatchy, and her Twitter handle is at AnitaKumar01, K-U-M-A-R-01. Anita, this poll that says that Bernie's up uh, on Hillary by two points, 49 to 47, also had some interesting stats about how the, the different voters in the different camps would react if the other side wins within the Democratic Party. For example... You talk to Sanders supporters and you ask them, okay, you like Bernie, you're feeling the burn. What if Hillary wins the nomination? Could you bring yourself to hold your nose and vote for her? And 25% of the Sanders voters say, no way, I'm not going to support Hillary. Whereas if you ask the people who are supporting Clinton, well, what if Bernie happens to edge her out? Could you, could you vote for her? Only 14% of the Clinton supporters say, no, no, we wouldn't vote for Bernie. So a much higher percentage of the Sanders supporters are going to be really uh, cranky if Hillary wins. Right. We thought that was probably the biggest takeaway. I mean, obviously anything can happen. Yesterday, I think you saw both candidates say that they would support each other if the other person won. But, yeah, it was, it was surprising to us. One, one in four people, a quarter, 25%, so that's kind of a lot. And the most likely Sanders voters to turn away from her uh, Clinton in a general election were independents, moderates, whites, and men. And he's, you know, he's doing very well with independents, and that was a huge, huge number for, for him. And then the most likely to, 
to support her include non-whites, Democrats, those who call themselves Democrats, women, and those aged 18 to 44. Everybody's having a little fun with uh, Bernie and Hillary's uh, big adventure in Manhattan and, and the other boroughs, of course, in New York City. And the idea of you know Bernie you know, thinking they, they still use subway tokens and Hillary tries right. to swipe her card five times, it kind of reminds you of back in the, the Bill Clinton and George Bush days when they were fussing over who knows how much a quarter of milk costs and, and Bush expressing amazement as a, at a barcode <laughs> reader. Do, do you think this kind of thing resonates with voters? I mean, I would think Bernie, you know, being born and raised on the streets of Brooklyn, he, he might have a natural advantage in this, this fight. Well, I definitely think that voters and those that I've talked to in a lot of states say that they are, they think that he can relate more. You know, he's not as wealthy as her, and she's been in the public eye for, what, 30 years. So there's just, there's that natural tendency. I know he was give, people were giving him a hard time about the, the subway thing. He has not lived there in quite some time. Right. Obviously, he lives in Vermont. So, you know... And I also hear yesterday that you know I don't I'm from Washington so I don't I'm not in New York but I hear those those cards are sometimes troublesome on the subway so you know I think things like that do resonate though because people are seeing the video people are saying oh well these people don't understand me so I think and that's what this election is really all about this year is people are so fed up with everything they want someone who can change things that can relate to them so I think those things do matter this is such a disconnect though I mean Hillary rides the subway for literally one stop <laughs> and then she gets off and, and she's riding a subway I mean let's let's face it she lives like Marie Antoinette <laughs> jet of private jets two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a speech now I'm not saying she doesn't believe in progressive rhetoric and positions, but give me a break. I mean, you, you talk about the 1%. She's in the 1 one-hundredth of 1%. And, you know, maybe she can convey the idea, like her husband, the, the great retail politician, I feel your pain. But, I, I mean, do people not recognize the fact that she lives like, lives like an absolute queen and yet is preaching such a different message? Well, I think when you go to the states and you talk to voters, that is one of the things that they bring up. You mentioned the honesty question. There's you know, a couple things I keep hearing over and over from people is they don't trust her, and they don't think that, that she can relate to them, that she's just she's too famous, she's too, um, too wealthy, and she's been out there for a long time, and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't uh, get the regular, regular people thing. Last question, uh, Nita Kumar, White House correspondent from McClatchy. Uh, the whole FBI thing, emails, indictment, and so on, uh, people seem to have just come to the conclusion that there's absolutely no way anything bad is going to happen to Hillary in terms of an indictment, any kind of you know interview with the FBI. It would be such an intrusion on the political process. Uh, and yet, you know, they go after powerful people, you know, Scooter Libby, the vice president's chief of staff, and so on. What are you hearing in terms of whether there's some secret uh, grand jury uh, convened or whether she's going to be uh, interviewed by the FBI director? Any, anything uh, that, that you've heard lately? Well, I mean, I just, I don't know that I buy that she will or won't be. I mean, uh, they, you know, obviously the, the campaign is all around them, the presidential race, but when the FBI is looking at something, I, I think they tend to really look. I mean, you'll look at lots of governors, uh, you know, uh, members of Congress, they've been indicted. So, yep. I mean, obviously they're, they, if they feel like there's a case, there's a case. I mean, that's the big thing is, was there a case? What did they do? I don't know that she's going to be indicted. What I what I do think is also possible is that they're investigating some of the people that were around her in the State Department. I mean, they are. Obviously, they you know, looked at some of those emails and, and looked at some of those issues. And, um, you know, there's a possibility, too. So, obviously, she, 
she's there's there's no winning here really for her. She doesn't want an indictment. Obviously, she doesn't get an indictment. People say, oh, the system's rigged. <laughs> she right. just got off. She gets an indictment. Obviously, that's bad news because she's been indicted. Her staffers get indicted. Same thing. It's it's you know bad news all around. And I think that there's still the the uh, investigation still progressing. And and at the same time, so are some of these lawsuits. She might be deposed. Some of her staffers might be deposed. And I think those could be damaging as well. All right. Nita Kumar, thanks for sharing your thoughts. You have a great weekend. Okay. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. 717 The Time on KBC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. So we want to be joined now by uh, California State Senator Bob Hoffe. that represents the uh, 29th District in Orange County. And he's going to fill us in uh, on a fascinating new story. There's a pending new law uh, to uh, go against impaired drivers in a way uh, that might surprise you, Senator. Senator Huff, welcome to the program. Well, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for joining us this Friday. And uh, uh, when people think about uh, drunk driving or impaired driving, uh, they think about alcohol. But as I understand it, uh, there's a proposal to kind of expand the scope of uh, the inquiry of impaired drivers. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, a 2013 study found a third of all the California drivers killed in crashes tested positive for legal or illegal drugs. And so it's time to help give the officers in the field the tool to better figure out why they're being impaired. So when you say a third of, of fatal crashes uh, can be traced to drugs, either legal or illegal, so we're lumping together not only illegal drugs like marijuana, cocaine, whatever, but also prescription d- drugs, pain, pain medication, opiates, and so on, that may be legal, may or may not have been legally prescribed to that patient, but whether they were legal or not, the patient's not supposed to be driving, uh, do not operate heavy machinery, and so on. So what's the deal in terms of the technology and the steps that, that officers would take to, to find out whether somebody is impaired, not only by alcohol, but by something else? Yes, alcohol, we still have the breathalyzer, but when an officer sees somebody driving erratically, they pull them over, they do the field sobriety test, they test the breath, you know, it's not alcohol. Now they have to bring in a specialist, it takes time, haul them down to the station, do a blood test, it takes more time. So this allows them a five-minute procedure to see if there are indeed six uh, drugs that are the most commonly used, one of them in their system. If it is in the system, then they haul them to the station, still do a blood test. But it's a quick screening uh, and, you know, you swab the mouth, stick it in there, you're either positive for this or not. If not, you know, go on your way. Interesting. You know, I, I'm familiar with uh, what insurance agents do uh, and paramedics who go out and examine folks who want life insurance, for example, uh, and, and it's a common thing to actually do a swab of the, the applicant. Uh, you know, sometimes they take blood or urine, but, but sometimes they do the swab. And as I understand it, they're looking mainly for three things. They want to know if uh, they've got HIV. They want to know if they've got cocaine in their system. And they also want to know if there's nicotine in their system. Because the life insurance companies are really curious about, about all three of those things. So, uh, but, but that's a process. You send the swab off. And are you, you saying that out in the field, uh, this five-minute procedure is actually going to give you results on the spot? Or is it that the officer would then take the, the, the swab and seal it up and send it off to a lab someplace? No, it gives you the results within five minutes in the field. We did a demonstration at a press conference in Sacramento the other day, and it's, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, but because it is quick, it helps... It's a threshold test, right? You either are, you do have something in your system or you're not. It tests for certain levels. But then the real test that is going to be used to, to convict you later on is what's done with the blood test, and that's a more detailed process. We're talking with uh, Senator Bob Huff, uh, state senator representing the 29th district in Orange County. You know, there's kind of a conventional wisdom or sort of a pop culture notion, I think, that 
uh, people who are driving around uh, having smoked marijuana actually are better drivers than than average because they're stoned, they're really cautious, they're kind of paranoid. <laughs> uh, you're, you're citing these statistics that a third of the fatal crashes uh, involve uh, drugs of, of one kind or another, including legal drugs. Uh, have they come up with statistics about you know whether or not people are really a, a, a serious danger on the road if they're driving under the influence of marijuana and similar drugs? Well, I will submit that if you're stoned, you probably think you're a great driver. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the reality is these people are pulled over because they're driving erratically. There was something about their performance that said, hey, something's wrong here, and to pull them over. So right. it's not like, you know, if, if they were indeed really fine drivers, they wouldn't be pulled over in the first place or failed the field sobriety test. A big story in the last year or two, I guess, uh, has been the explosion of overdose uh, deaths. And I guess a lot of the focus has been on, you know, areas like Vermont, where the numbers are just through the roof. And I don't know if people have a good explanation for why there are so many, you know, opiate-related deaths and so on. Have we seen a similar experience in California? I, I know Governor Brown has been talking about the, the problem a little uh, recently. Uh, where do we rank in terms of the rest of the country, in terms of the seriousness, and, and is, is this problem having a, a corresponding effect in terms of crashes, fatal or otherwise? Well, we, we have the most deaths related to drug overdoses, and that it's sort of but logical. is that just because, population? Yeah, we're, we're 12% of the nation's population, but right. we have seen a spike recently in fentanyl, which has been in other states. That's a synthetic opioid that's 100 times stronger than cocaine or heroin. So it's, uh, in fact, up in the Sacramento region, there's been a lot of news lately. There's evidently a batch of these uh, bogus pills out that they think they're taking Norco or something, but they got some fentanyl in it, and it kills people. Uh, and so there's been a lot of fatalities lately, but the reality is we're a self-medicating society that doesn't really care about consequences. And so when you have this combination of self-medicating and getting behind the wheel or dangerous uh, or other equipment, dangerous situations, you're going to have fatalities. And it's not always just yourself that's, that's taking the ride, so to speak. Mm. All right. Bob Huffs, California State Senator for the 29th District in Orange County. Thank you so much for taking a party Friday and talking with us about this. You have a nice weekend. Thanks. Great to be with you. Thanks. 7.23 The Time, Talk Radio 790-KABC, Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. When we come back, because, T-Ray, we like to keep the show on a high plane. Uh, yes, we're talking. Well. About, we're going to talk about how folks text their junk to their doctors. It's a thing, yes. It's a phenomenon that we idea. will explore in a, in a scientific manner uh, here on KABC. Stay with us. And it's time to check in with Bill Thomas. How are things looking on the road? Talk Radio 790-KABC, Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre this fabulous Friday. It's fabulous unless you're stuck in that awful traffic that Bill Thomas is going to help you with on the west side with President coming in. So, uh, gosh, uh, we, we got an important event here at KBC T-Ray. Uh, the drive home is hitting the road again. I know, it's very dangerous. <laughs> Next Thursday the 14th, you got to join Jillian and John broadcasting live from Tacos and Tequila at the Morongo Casino. Tacos, Tequila, Casino, Jillian and John, all the makings of a wild time. Plan to join them Thursday the 14th for the drive home at the Morongo Casino. Good times. I heard John requested an IV just full of tequila. <laughs> oh, good Lord. <laughs> well, you know, I, I actually, I have a solution here, and it involves our next guest. Uh, we're delighted to uh, welcome Catherine Barger. She is uh, Chief Deputy for uh, Supervisor Mike Antonovich. She is a candidate uh, for the supervisor's job. Uh, Catherine, welcome to the program. 
Thank you, Royal. How are you? I'm doing great, but I just had this idea that popped into my head. Catherine, you know, you're in this campaign for the 5th uh, District uh, Supervisor's uh, spot. Jillian and John are going to be uh, at Morongo Casino, <laughs> tacos and tequila. I think John's going to need a driver after this. <laughs> Catherine, you, you could go, you know, meet some people and then give John a drive home. Uh, you could give him the drive home. I, it, it, you know, I'm just running it up the flagpole here. What do you think? Well, based on the fact that I probably put about 22,000 miles on my car in the last six months, I could get him home. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll put this down as a maybe then. So, so Catherine Barger, a uh, big campaign that you're involved in, and actually the, the campaign itself is kind of making some news because uh, uh, one of the candidates, uh, Mitch Englander, wanted to call himself a, a policeman on the ballot, uh, and that's kind of been sorted out uh, in the court. So what's your take on that controversy? Well, um, my opponents challenged his ballot designation, and uh, Judge O'Brien took it all into consideration and determined that, in fact, it's got to be your primary uh, job and ruled against uh, placing that on the ballot. So I think it speaks for itself. You know, you're, you're in this campaign, and I can only imagine what it must be like uh, traveling around the county, 5th District, uh, trying to, to get into people's heads and, and talk to them about, uh, you've been working with the county with Mike Antonovich for so many years, but we're overwhelmed with publicity and just, uh, you know, juicy factoids about Donald Trump and feeling the burn. How do you kind of rejigger people's attention to the fact that, you know, politics is, is really local. It really dramatically affects their lives. How do you get them to stop thinking about Donald Trump? What are the things that, that really are and should be on, on local voters' minds about their local lives? Well, first of all, as long as Donald continues to have press conferences, I don't think anyone's going to take their mind off of Isn't what's going on. Isn't that the truth? He, he certainly knows how to get attention. Yeah, but having said that, you know, when I go out and talk uh, to people, a lot of people don't even know really what the county of Los Angeles is about and how it impacts uh, their lives on a daily basis. This campaign clearly has been under the radar screen, in part because uh, term limits really were never in effect. I mean, Supervisor Antonovich has had the seat for 36 years, 28 of which I've been with him. Uh, so it's getting out there and really talking to the people and explaining to them the importance of the seat and why I am the right candidate and the right person to become county supervisor. And Mike Antonovich uh, certainly has uh, fully endorsed you. We're talking with Catherine Barger, uh, uh, supervisor uh, candidate. What about the county seal controversy? Boy, it just won't go away. I mean, uh, uh, I, I was reminding myself of the background here with the cross on the county seal. It was a divided board voted in 2014 to reinstate the cross on top of the depiction of the San Gabriel uh, mission. Uh, the ACLU sued. Uh, uh, they said the placement of the cross unconstitutionally favored Christianity. And, and a decade ago, the county removed the cross from the seal, this one that was shown floating above the Hollywood Bowl after being threatened with a suit. The seal was redesigned in 2004. And whoops, no cross on the top of the mission. Then later it was restored as a back and forth. And now a uh, federal judge, Christina Snyder, has written a 55-page ruling just, uh, just released. Holy cow. Yeah, saying the cross carries with it an aura of prestige, authority, and approval by singling out the cross uh, for addition to the seal. The county necessarily lends its prestige to one faith's sectarian imagery. So really controversial. I, I mean, to me, it's historical. It's just part of the county's background, and it doesn't favor one religion over the other. But, Catherine Barger, what's your take on this? Well, if you look back, I mean, uh, Supervisor Kenny Hahn is the one that, that designed the original uh, seal, and it was purely based on historical significance. When the board was challenged, by the way, they were not even sued originally. There was a threat of a lawsuit. 
uh, the board blinked and said we're going to take the cross off without really vetting the issue and, and, and discussing the historical significance. Having said that, I know what the intent of the board is in terms of replacing the cross on the San Gabriel mission. This is not about religion. This is about historical significance and the role that the San Gabriel mission played in the history of L.A. County. Um, the court is, has ruled, and I, the board will take that into consideration and determine what the next step is. But, but what I tell people is this was not about religion. This was about historical significance and, and embracing where this county came from and how we got to where we are today. I mean, if it's a picture of the mission and there's a cross on the picture of the mission, it seems like a, it doesn't seem that it's that big a deal. It isn't, but understand that after the last earthquake, the cross fell. So when they designed the mission, there was no cross on the mission. The, the cross was, was discovered and replaced back on the mission, and the board simply took uh, that and, and added the cross. All right, Catherine Barger, L.A. County Supervisor Candidate, and you can uh, go to the site, CatherineBarger.com. That's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-B-A-R-G-E-R.com. Catherine, best of luck to you. Thank you, and I appreciate you letting me be on your show. No problem. Take care. 746 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. When we come back, uh, a topless car chase that was too wet to tail. We'll give you the You're details. You're just really proud of that. I am you? kind of proud of that. I'm also proud of Bill, Bill Thomas. You know, uh, we're really proud of Bill Thomas. That's the main thing. Oh, is that you, Bill? It's McIntyre in the Morning with Doug McIntyre and Terry Ray Elmer. Nine oh seven, the time. Talk radio seven ninety KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Happy Friday to you all. So, uh, Randy, you were reporting on this um, basketball coach situation. I think you said he's he's going to be a father, and, and you mentioned he's married. Isn't that what we want? Do we? Well, no, do we want he somebody didn't impregnate to be... his wife? Oh, oh, he so impregnated you're saying... a player on the team. He's married to somebody else. You're saying? Yeah, I wasn't paying oh, too dear. close attention to the story. Yeah, well, that makes it that does make it worse, uh, I suppose. Now you got a coach and a player. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> hey, one hour from now, caller five at one eight hundred two 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 five two two two. We'll win a pair of tickets to see Celtic Thunder, named one of the top world music groups. Celtic Thunder will perform this November at the Orpheum Theater, and we'll get you two tickets to the show if you call one hour from now at one eight hundred two 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 KABC. Tickets furnished by Live Nation Entertainment. So we are delighted to be joined by our friend Colin, Conan Nolan. I almost got your name right. Conan Nolan. And uh, he, of course, is host of a News Conference on NBC4. Uh, Conan, how are you doing today? Hi, Royal. Mate, you're really good at this broadcasting stuff. You ought to try it more often. Well, th- <laughs> thank, you, except when it, thank you, but except when it comes to pronouncing Conan Nolan's name. Well, you know, listen, I, I was born with that name. I, believe it or not, some people actually thought uh, I made it up. No, I didn't make it up. Uh, Conan is, uh, uh, I was told it uh, means wisdom in Celtic and peevish in Gaelic. Oh, was, was it kind of tough during that whole barbarian Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> thing? Did you get a lot of kidding during that particular phase in human history? Yeah, I remember there was a uh, weather guy in L.A. named Rambo, and uh, and somebody from New York said, man, I go to L.A., and there's a Conan on TV and a Rambo doing weather. Man, what, <laughs> and, what a muscular newscast. And I'll bet when that hunky actor Lloyd Nolan was popular, that was a big thing for you, too, right? 
Oh, uh, yeah, right. Although I did tell uh, Conan O'Brien that I had the name before he did. He's a very nice guy. But, uh, no, nobody knew Conan. Yes, a, a few nerds like you who read comic books knew Conan the Barbarian. Exactly and then, of course, right. there was Arnold. But uh, it wasn't until Conan O'Brien showed up. And to this day, people uh, confuse me with him. Not that I have red hair and tall and I'm geeky, but um, in any case, it's a, it's a burden. But you, you came close, Royal, so I give you credit. Uh, exactly right. So Conan Nolan, as everybody knows, is the host of News Conference every Sunday on NBC4. And by the way, his Twitter handle is at Conan. NBCLA. So Tanaka went down big time this week. The undersheriff uh, was convicted. Uh, boy, Conan, uh, the jury didn't take very long, and they rushed it to the cameras to talk <laughs> to reporters. They did not like uh, Tanaka. What, what's your takeaway from the trial? Well, what's interesting, Royal, you know all about the inner workings of our legal system. These folks uh, took a, uh, a poll in the afternoon prior to the, the day they were supposed to deliberate. And they said they were surprised as to how many everybody was on the same page. There were only two people that had questions. And within 90 minutes of the next morning, they got them swung their way. They didn't like Tanaka at all. You're right. It was surprising how candid they were. The foreman just hung out with us. I mean, she didn't want to leave, right. uh, as well as a few others. They just said that, uh, listen, he, he went on the witness stand, and there was too many. I forgot. I may have said that. I don't remember. Uh, and And... Too many equivocations for a guy who said he ran the department. There was a lot and of so I don't was, remember. Oh, exactly. And uh, he, he just, there was just something about him, not to mention the fact that uh, the prosecution had a, very, had a very good case. And it's one that uh, each member of the jury that we talked to said was sort of overwhelming. There, was, there, were, there were more than one smoking gun as far as they were concerned. And you, I know we're going to be talking about uh, the Tanaka trial and the outcome at, uh, on your show news conference this Sunday at uh, 9 a.m. on NBC4. Do you think, I don't know if you've talked to any of the folks on the defense side, I mean, obviously hindsight is real easy, but maybe they're second-guessing their decision to put Tanaka on the stand, because, I mean, you'd think he could clean himself up and, and project a, <laughs> a human face and not com be combative and angry, because the jurors were just trashing the guy. Uh, but, but it seems like, in retrospect, big mistake putting him on, you think? Uh, true. Uh, listen, though, if you did a show from the city of Gardena, you'd have a much different uh, picture of Paul Tanaka. Remember, he's the mayor. mayor. Right. People have a hard time understanding that you can you can serve in that office part time while being the undersheriff of the county of Los Angeles. But he's very popular there. He'd taken a leave of absence, and if you talk to people down there, of course you talk to his family, but you talk to others, they say he's a sweetheart of a guy. He's the nicest guy. He's the uh, they consider him as honest as the day is long. And so uh, it, 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 none of that, of course, came, came through on the witness stand. And uh, I, just, I just think they had an overwhelming case. There just wasn't it, – it's hard, especially, you know, the defense said this was, a, uh, this was a turf battle between the FBI, the Department of Justice on one side, and the County of Los Angeles and the Sheriff's Department on the other, and that somehow Paul Tanaka got caught up into it. That didn't resonate with the jury, and the evidence didn't speak to that. And I guess a lot of people now are wondering, all right, have they finally cleaned up the sheriff's department? I mean, the chief uh, or the sheriff himself in February he entered into a plea deal, and he said, yeah, I guess I lied to the federal authorities a few years ago. And, and so his plea deal, I think, calls for six months behind bars. Uh, I guess uh, Tanaka is looking at maybe mm -hmm. in the range of 15 years. I don't think that they've really formalized the recommendation. Do, do you talk to people and get a sense that really a page has been turned, that, uh, that things have been cleaned up at the sheriff's 
Justice Department, or are people still worried that the bad apples are still there? Well, Eileen Decker, who's the uh, U.S. attorney for, for the L.A. region, in her statement afterwards said, listen, as far as she's concerned, this is the end of a, of a bad chapter. She's very good friends with Jim McDonald, the sheriff of Los Angeles County. They both appeared on my show together uh, not long ago uh, on a number of different law enforcement uh, endeavors that they're in, that they're that they're moving together with. Uh, plus the fact that they, uh, um, you know, they she believes as well as I think the FBI that uh, they've got the right guy in the sheriff's department. They just had uh, Lee Baca, who was um, you know who cut his own plea bargain. By the way, that's the other thing. The defense in this trial believe that if anybody should be uh, culpable for what happened, it should be Sheriff Maka. The defense attorney said that he got a sweetheart deal from the feds uh, when he admitted to simply lying to federal investigators. But in any case, there's no question on the department side, the DOJ side, they believe that the sheriff is uh, in full control these days and that reforms have, have, uh, are taking place. And as, as far as I'm concerned, they seem to be on the same page. We're talking with Conan Nolan, host of News Conference, every Sunday morning at 9 on NBC4. So, Conan, uh, the jury seemed to think that actually Sheriff Baca was the face of the department, but the evil genius behind uh, <laughs> a lot of this stuff was, was Tanaka. I mean, he just really came across poorly. And I guess it's like arrogance. I mean, of all people, law enforcement folks, they know what the rules are, and they know how, how hard you can go down if you're caught to challenge the FBI and intimidate the FBI agent. I mean, what in the world made Tanaka think they could get away with this? Right. And keep in mind, the jurors also knew that while he was faced with this kind of accusation and the potential for prosecution, he, he actually ran for sheriff. <laughs> Remember? Yeah, that's right. That's right. For Jim against Jim McDonald, so that gives you a sense that uh, either he was in complete denial, uh, or he didn't take any of this seriously. Um, so I, I, I think there's a uh, there was a there was a sense. To be honest with you, based on how long they deliberated and based on the comments that they gave us later. This was a slam dunk for the mm. prosecution. This was not a very difficult case for them to, uh, to prosecute. I mean, they, they, they may argue that it took a long time, and I'm sure it did, but in the eyes of the jury, there was no doubt. Well, I guess when you're mayor of Gardena, it goes to your head. You <laughs> think it's a launching pad. You, you can do anything. So, Conan Nolan, you've got some stuff coming up on your show Sunday morning on News Conference. I, I, I know that you've got Matthew uh, Johnson, new L.A. police commissioner, and uh, apparently uh, he's, he's all over this issue about the police shooting issue. That's right. You know, this the, the pursuit we saw yesterday, the most bizarre L.A. pursuit. Oh, my God. Yeah, where, the, the top-down Mustang pursuit, right. Right, right, with a TMZ a bus actually tried to get in, <laughs> intervened. I was rooting uh, for, well, for Harvey Levin to solve that problem. <laughs> right. So uh, the question is, is this uh, emblematic of the new order that he is seeking, that is, the de-escalation of every situation that the police involve, get, to get involved in? Of course, the Protective League, the police union, say if you're going to focus on training for cops to think twice or two or three times before they engage a suspect, you will have dead cops. They, 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 are, they are strong in their argument that, that police always want to de-escalate, but for you to punish them based on what they may have done in a split second uh, is going to force officers to think twice and sometimes think twi thinking twice in a situation like that could be deadly. So we're going to talk to him about that. He's also uh, does work for the Democratic National Committee. Uh, we're interested in finding out what he thinks of the Bernie Sanders uh, uh, dust-up with Hillary Clinton over either one of them being 
uh, capable or uh, qualified to be president. He's also one of the leading entertainment attorneys in the nation. So he's an interesting guy. We're also going to talk to Dan Richard, the chair of the High Speed Rail Commission, because they, uh, they're meeting in Anaheim next week about this new route into uh, Burbank that they've, uh, they've just, they've, they're trying to convince people in Shadow Hills will not ruin the, uh, the, the beauty and the equestrian uh, lifestyle that they have. No, and, and the people uh, in favor of the bullet train have to feel like they're under assault because uh, so many people are just really dead set against it, and, you know, they're figuring it's going to go over $100 billion. I imagine they, they, they really have been, they've been on the defensive. They have, and I'll tell you, up in Sacramento, there are plenty of Democrats who have big concerns about the bullet train, but they haven't said anything because they don't want to anger the governor. The one guy who has said that is Gavin Newsom. The lieutenant governor who says it's uh, it's folly. Of course, Jerry Brown doesn't like Gavin Newsom all that much, even though he wrote him a letter of recommendation to get into the University of Santa Clara. Uh, <laughs> the fact is, is that the uh, it, but it still lurches on. And of course, as you pointed out, they're now heading. They want to build the first lake from Bakersfield to San Jose because it'll be easier and cheaper than going through the Tehachapi's and the San Gabriel Mountain. You know, if Governor Brown had a sense of humor, he'd say to Gavin Newsom, "You know, you're going to get that bullet train, whether you like it or not." <laughs> because, as I recall, that was Gavin's line on on gay marriage yes. a few years ago that was played in an endless loop. Uh, but I, I think that's the attitude is the governor has have you know whether you like it or not, folks. You voted for it. Uh, it's going to cost uh, you a lot of money. You've also got on the show Edward. Lemer, uh, director of the UCLA Anderson forecast. Uh, apparently there's a, a cautious uh, optimism type forecast. I guess we could need some good news. I mean, I keep reading that basically we've got the highest poverty rate in, in, in America here in California, so if there's uh, something good around the corner, that would be nice. Yeah, the uh, forecast is positive. We're going to ask him also about uh, his take on the minimum wage hike statewide. Uh, but I'll tell you, uh, Royal, what's interesting is that you have a, a slowly uh, surging economy. Uh, things are improving, yet you have a crime rate that's going up, and nobody seems to be able to square that because frequently uh, social liberals have said the crime rate is tied to a, a downturn. Well, well, things are getting better, yet we are seeing a surge in property crime and, and even in, in homicides, certainly in L.A. Um, I'm not going to ask Ed Lemer about that, but we will ask the police commissioner if that has anything to do in his mind with Prop 47. Well, yeah, that's uh, what I was going to say. I know you, and you've had folks on your show uh, multiple times I've seen that have tried to tackle that issue, and, and a lot of people think, I mean, it's a no-brainer. You know, if you're going to let folks out the back door, transfer dangerous felons to the county jails, and then they people get released early, you know, because, you know, maybe the most recent felony wasn't violent, but ignore the fact that they've got a bunch of really awful violent felonies before that. I mean, a lot of people think that's the the explanation for the spike in crime. Right, and keep in mind that there was supposed to be uh, money coming from Sacramento for intervention programs for those who, who come out of jail. That money didn't show up, and even when it does, speaking of Jim McDonald, he's one of those who says, listen, it used to be if somebody committed a, a, a drug offense, we will tell them, listen, we're going to file a felony charge on you and send you to state prison unless you, would go, you agree to go to rehab. Then we'll file a misdemeanor. Well, they don't have that leverage anymore because they're all misdemeanors. And according to the sheriff, the number of people going into drug rehab is down 60 percent. Uh, so, so you have a lot of people out there now who have drug problems out of state prison. Supposedly, we're trying to get, a, get them help. They need to first ask for help. You can't impose that on them. And the only way you could in the past impose 
drug counseling was to threaten a felony. That no longer can happen. Well, we are going to be watching Conan Nolan of NBC4, host of News Conference, uh, this Sunday morning at 9. Appreciate you sharing part of your Friday morning with us, and we'll see you on TV on Sunday. You're the best. Thanks very much, Royal. Bye, T-Ray. All right. See you later, Conan. It's 921 here on Talk Radio KABC. You know, this uh, Bill Clinton defense uh, of Hillary, uh, T-Ray, is is really kind of interesting the way he's taken on the Black Lives Matter protesters. I mean, the Black Lives... I don't think he's used to being protested. Well, no, that's that's right. But I mean, it's so interesting that they are taking on these really progressive people. I mean, Bernie Sanders, remember, he was booed off the stage a few months ago. Well, they basically took the stage away from him. Yeah, exactly. When he said he, uh, he dared to utter the the words all lives matter and you know that was not acceptable and you know clinton was defending his administration's approach to criminal law reform and and basically the black lives matter people point to the 90s and they say that's when the era of mass mm-hmm. incarceration started the clinton era reforms were unfair they you were know who racist agreed with that Bill Clinton two weeks ago. Yeah, it's it's amazing. But you know he's uh, he really sparred with them. Let's let's listen to the former president in his own words. This is what's the matter. I don't know how you would characterize the gang leaders who got 13 year old kids hopped up on crack and sent them out onto the street to murder other African American children. Maybe you thought they were good citizens. She didn't. She didn't. You are defending the people who kill the lives you say matter. Tell now, the truth. I, I have some advice for both Bill and Hillary. You don't have to yell when you're standing at the microphone. <laughs> the microphone's really powerful. All you have to do is lean in. You can even lower your voice. She and he are both losing their voice because every time somebody responds, whether it's an, a favorable applause or, or heckling, they seem, you know, their voices are gone. Wouldn't it be horrible if we couldn't hear Hillary or Bill talk? I know, right? Well, just say your prayers. <laughs> 9.23 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks and for Doug McIntyre. When we come back, prostitution in France. There's good news and there's bad news. Stay tuned. And Bill Thomas will now fill us in on how things are looking on the freeways. Bill. 9.50 The Time, this is Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks and for Doug McIntyre. It's Friday, that means it's time for Les Siegel with a movie review. Hi, Les. Hey, Les. Hi, everybody. So nice to see you. It's the boss with Melissa McCarthy. I, I, you know, Les, you're you're kind of a purist. During the break, I said, "Hey, Les, uh, what do you think? A thumbs up on the movie?" Well, uh, we'll talk about that on the air. I said, "Oh, okay." Uh, Melissa McCarthy, she's lost some weight lately. We'll talk about that on the air. Yeah, I, I, I don't leave anything on the field. It's like Gary Shandling. You know, he he was talking to uh, Howard Stern, and he and Howard Stern said, "Where'd you go? Aren't you on TV?" And he said, "Well, there's more to life than being on TV." By the way, my website, RoyalOaks.com. Is got a, a podcast about Gary Shandling. I hope everybody goes to it. The oh, yeah. man, the man was a genius, but he's gone. But you're here, Les Siegel on the boss. What do you say? Well, on that weight issue, it's the boss starring Melissa McCarthy. Now, going into this thing, I called. I thought she weighed a, a ton, and so I called Universal. You mean like two thousand pounds? Almost. Okay. So I, I called um, Universal. I said, you know, listen, <clears throat> thank you for the invite for the screening. But if it's an IMAX, I don't want to go. So wait, you didn't want to see it because she was fat. 
<laughs> you really said if it's in left? IMAX, I don't want to go. I called God. Universal. I called Universal. I said, you know. And if it had been 3D, you would have been frightened and, and just uh, uh, would have boycotted on. it? I would have gone to San Diego or somewhere, anywhere. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was we, still free, right? It was still free. That's oh, all good. that matters. Because, you know, Royal, you might have been on the hook for the money because I don't pay less. Okay, I got no, it. No, I'm on it. a major role. I've had the last five or six movies for free. Oh, that's way nice. That's the way it should be. You're, right. you're a major market movie reviewer. So well, I'm like, yeah, duh. No, of course the you're going to go free. The only way Doug could afford to go out of town was he didn't have to pay less. <laughs> and most of the movies that lessees aren't worth $20. Right, so, exactly. So Melissa McCarthy, uh, she's on a roll. I mean, big star now. She had that wonderful role in Bridesmaids oh where she God. you know, was after the uh, the, the uh, marshal, the air marshal. Spoiler. Alert. So, uh, what did you think, Les? Well, first of all, she did lose a little weight. Now, she's not, she wasn't Karen Carpenter, but she lost a little <laughs> hey! weight. Just to, too um, soon. Too, <laughs> too soon. <laughs> she plays one of these, can I say bitch? Uh, she plays one of these real bitchy. Why did you ask after the fact? <laughs> I don't ask? know, maybe. Yeah, and if there's a dubious word, I don't think you want to repeat it within four seconds because okay. Ran- Randy might have some technical issues there. Oh, jeez. Um, and she, go, she has these seminars where she says, Get Rich Seminars, where she says, he listed everybody, and they're all sold out across the country. She's the 47th uh, wealthiest woman in the world. She sells out these buildings. She says to everybody, step over everybody. In fact, don't even step over them. Step on them. (laughs) Don't make friends. Don't let these people bring you down because they will. And the, you know, wait a minute. I think that was a Trump. I I think I saw Trump on TV. That's where I saw that from. But... (laughs) You got Melissa McCarthy confused with Trump? Yeah, I got. I, yeah, I thought maybe that was a Trump uh, rally on CNN. So, but the the, the story is, yeah. she's a real bitch. That four seconds later, and <laughs> so and like nobody Leon, likes her. She Leona she, Helmsley type. She, she, yeah. yeah, nobody oh, likes go. her. And you know her her assistant. I mean, she's she's a billionaire. Her assistant comes to her and says, you know, it's just you haven't given me a raise. And, so, and I run your empire, you win billions of dollars. She takes off her earrings and says, here, why don't you sell these? Get out of here. That, that's the, you know. So it sounds like it's almost like as if Fatty Arbuckle did a remake of The Devil oh, Wears Prada. <laughs> right? And that's so that's right. what you're picturing. Yeah. So the people, I got the <laughs> image in my head. The people who worked under her said, you know, I'm going to go we're after... Crushed. We're going to We're going to go after this big lady. Okay. And... So they get her in a scheme where she's thrown in jail for some uh, federal crime. And she goes to Club Fed, which is where I think Tadaka's going to go to. And she's playing tennis. And meanwhile, people are scheming. Oh, that's how she lost all the weight, playing tennis in the pen. Maybe, yeah. So people are saying, okay, she's there for six months. When she gets out, I'm going to get her back. She, you know, Six months is not enough for this B word. And so, and she's saying, when I, when I get out, she's saying to everybody, when I get out, I'm going to get back at these people. I'm going to get back by. I think I want to see this, but I want to, I have to ask you. It was a very funny movie. Lots of uh, salty language. You have have eight year old girls fighting each other. I hate when that happens. All right, less scale of one to seven. Ninety. 790. 790. Oh, okay. What's the uh, now I got it. So what's the number? Half the jokes landed, half didn't. I uh, on that 410. All right, it's a deal. Les Siegel with a movie review. Everybody go out and see the boss. 955 here on KBC. We're gonna have Peter Tilden giving us a preview of his movie today, so stay tuned. Why should you be 